Welcome to another issue of the Cool Tool Show and Tell. Our special guest this week is Patrick Reisinger. And Patrick, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners and friends? Thanks, Kevin, for the opportunity to join the Cool Tools podcast. Um, I'm Patrick. I'm currently a PhD student and I work in machine learning at the University of Tübingen in Germany. And Patrick, um, as one of our Cool Tools fans, I'm sure you know um, what we kind of like. So tell us about your first tool. So my first tool is related to uh, my life as a researcher. Um, and as a researcher, I often need to juggle around and get to know a lot of papers. And for this, um, I need to organize these papers and sometimes uh, discover new, new fields or new topics that I don't know about. And especially in informatics or machine learning, there are tons of uh, new papers released every day. Um, and what I do is I use a free service called ResearchRabbit. Um, this is um, a website where you can load the collection of papers you are interested in. Uh, for example, there are this open source um, literature management tool called Zotero, and you can just link these two together. And what this means is that you will have small folders of papers um, in your browser, and ResearchRabbit will basically analyze the citations in these papers. And based on this graph between the papers, uh, it will give you suggestions what you might be interested in. For, for new papers that you don't know about, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so, so this is sort of like a recommendation system where you have papers that you already know about, you put them in a folder, and then it examines the folder and says, based on these, you should know about this other one here. Is that yes, correct? That's correct. And is, is using AI to do that? Yes, they are basically analyzing the the abstract and the available text of the papers right. and from this they build a graph. There was in the past there there are ways that did that with citation indexing. They would map the citations and they would say, you know, all these this paper links to all these papers, and this paper here that you link to is also linked to by these other ones, so therefore you should know about this one, it was done by the citation indexing. Is that what this one uses as well? I think uh, that there is like the basic functionality, which basically does the same. So there is this kind of deterministic mapping, which looks up each citation from the papers, uh -huh. quite similar to as you would do like a search in Google Scholar or any other database. But I think the, the main advantage of using such an AI-based tool is that even beyond um, giving you the network of, of citations, it will also, um, based on the keywords in the paper, it will try to suggest related work, which is not cited and does not necessarily cite this paper. So it can kind of expand your horizon where you can look into uh, interesting new work. And you say it's a free website. Yes, it is. And um... What's the, is there an economic model? Um, who's doing it? Why would they put the work into it and so forth? Yeah, so um, I think um, it was started like two years ago by a very small team. Um, and um, so currently um, they are mostly based on donations. 
Mm, so I I I think they don't have a pay tier. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I'm just checking the website and I think it's only only this free model. In the beginning they only allowed like academics to enter, but cur- I, I think currently it's uh, it's beyond that. So what I think they can benefit from, uh, but I don't know whether they do, is that by building these networks of papers, that is basically giving them data about what the researchers are interested in. And these this can guide um, research into specific scientific topics. And if I'm mm. not mistaken, I they see. have also opened up um, their database at some point to researchers who might want to collaborate. So I think it it's kind of the first step so mm. for a um, longer term goal. And um uh the name of the name of the service, could you remind me what, what the name of it is called? Yeah, so it's called Research Rabbit. Research Rabbit. And to um are they hosting the in other words, do you have to upload your um your papers to their to their server, or is this all being done on your own computer? Um, so basically, it all. Um, so they do not require the the PDFs for the papers. Just the DOI. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's basically depending on some sort of of uh, identifier, either the DOI or for the archive identifier, because a lot of the papers are nowadays there, and you can also search for title. Mm. And basically, you just uh, select the links to the papers, uh, and it, it doesn't need to right. need to store the PDFs. And I, I think actually there there is another good point with this tool, um, which connects to this point of data storage. That actually this lets you share your collections with others, also both privately and also in an open way. So this can have like bigger teams where someone put together a few interesting papers and then you can just easily easily share them. And um, presumably also you can extract out bibliographic um, citation, uh, you know, footnoting for your, your own paper. Can it, can it be used like an EndNote organizer? Um, so I think from this, uh, what you can do is only to synchronize to another service, I only tried it out in Zotero. So you don't get like a, a list of, of um, papers, but uh, yeah, maybe I'm... Let's let, let just check. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You can um, can export um, right. in different formats, like for LaTeX or even the right. CSV file. Um, and also you can synchronize with other tools you use. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's really great. So it's Research Rabbit, and it's a free website. Um, it's a great tool for researchers. I would agree. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. So, Patrick, what's um, your second tool pick? My second tool is also a web-based tool, and it's also connected to research in general. Um, it's called MathPix, and basically, this is a quite clever um, OCR tool. Like that is all pop. So it recognizes. Uh, specific formulas and convert it to LaTeX code. So uh, when I'm uh, look ha- looking into a paper and want to write down some notes, I don't need to type in the, somewhat, the sometimes lengthy expressions. And this also works for uh, basically you can pick from websites. Uh, 
and, and is this something that you um, use your camera for, or is it um, you're just cursoring over and highlighting it? How, how do you select it? Yes, so you have multiple options. You have here um, also a web-based interface where you can upload whole documents, and then you can even convert like whole documents. Sometimes when I have lecture notes only in like a PDF version, then I can convert the whole thing into LaTeX. But I can also basically take a screenshot of part of my screen, and then and then I will get back the code. And this also has like plugins for different systems, so you don't need to uh, always open your browser. You have it on on your um, on your desktop basically, and you can um, configure shortcuts. So um, if you have shorter expressions, you can just take a screenshot um, without opening any. So, so it's an OCR that works on mathematics and mathematical formulas. Is that yes. what you're saying? Yes, and it it converts these mathematical formulas uh, to LaTeX code, basically. Which is, can you explain what LaTeX is for those who don't know? Yeah, so basically LaTeX is um, a tool like or a way of writing uh, specific um, elaborate expressions such that you basically write commands to express style changes. So instead of like in MS Word, when you select the token you want italics, you use a command to force the text uh, to be italics. Right. So it's so kind of like a markup language for a formulas and mathematics describing exactly how, like say the you know, the calculus summation symbol would be rendered and what follows it and what the orientation and placements are. It kind of standardizes that. It's a markup for that. So they could also work in reverse, right? I mean, uh, the idea would be that if you were scanning or reading it, it was a, it's a uniform style, basically. The LaTeX is a uniform style for mathematics. Oh Would yes, you... um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's a much better um, explanation. And so, so this program is able to recognize mathematic formulas and decipher or translate them into standard understanding, and then you can display it. You can import it into your own document, or what would you do once you have scanned it? Why do you want to scan it? So uh, one reason why I would like to scan it is because if I'm collecting different ideas, then it's much easier to have these mathematical um, formulas um, searchable in my document because then I have um, I, I can navigate my document better. And sometimes I also create um, flashcards when I want to study specific concepts. And um, for that, I, I use Anki, which was, I think, uh, suggested multiple times on the, on the podcast. And for that, um, basically, I have a markdown file where I have these um, mathematical formulas, and I export it automatically with a plugin. And for this, having having nice um, unified uh, descriptions for mathematics is much better, because then if I want to study these cards on my desktop or a big monitor or even on my smartphone, then the rendering will be much nicer 
um, as opposed to having um, a single image. And I, I would expect that this ability to OCR mathematics would be embedded in basically OCR basic, your basic OCR programs. Um, I know that there's some built in now to the Mac OS OCRing. Do, are you aware of whether other um, OCR programs can handle mathematics in the same fashion, or do you need to have a standalone plugin? Well, unfortunately, I don't know whether there are any. Um, I'm sure that they probably are. It's just, um, for me, this was the first tool I discovered okay. for this purpose, and it was quite extensive. And also, it's it's a nice thing that um, they have, um, so it, it is multiple options, like free and paid options. And for academics, so that is if you have an institutional email address, um, then you get uh, basically some sort of uh, premium version um, okay. free, which is, I think, for students, it could be uh, extremely useful. And if you if you don't have an academic email address, um, is, is it still free? You just have a, a less powerful version, or, do, or is it, do you have to pay? So there is a totally free version, um, where basically the limitation is uh, given by the number of PDF pages you can convert, and also like how many of these screenshots, uh, screenshot conversions you can do. And I'm just checking so the the pro version. Um, that is, if you don't have an institutional um, email address and you want uh, more conver conversions, that is uh, five dollars per month. Mm -hmm. So okay, yeah. It's again another research tool if you work with formulas or mathematics. Um, and again, the name of that, uh, please. It is MathPix. MathPix, P-I-C-S or P-I? P-I-X, that is unlike in Pixel. Pixar, MathPix, P-I-X, okay, great. So thank you, Patrick. Um, what's the third tool that you have picked out for us? Um, my third tool is also an online resource, but this time it is a course. It is um, basically a networking course from Jordan Harbinger. It is called the Six Minute Networking Course. And despite these negative connotations of networking, the reason why I selected this that a um, lot of, of researchers, at least I, I, I definitely am an introvert. And sometimes um, I just feel that I need to be made aware that um, Connections are basically the most important thing in research because that's how you validate ideas, how you um, get through more of patches of your career. And I think that especially in the more technical domains, several people are, are introverts. So this very, very short course can give you basically prompts to think about um, how much you should value your your connections and not in I, I don't mean it in an opportunistic way just to just to remind yourself if it's not your cup of tea that okay yeah you need to invest in in other people because that can be very pleasing and it can make your career much more enjoyable basically to work with people who you know and um, who you can um, like find the, the common denominator so you say it's a course I yes. mean, that, that has exercises for you to do? 
Yeah, so basically it is composed of short videos and after some of the videos there are prompts that okay this is an exercise that you can do to um own your connections such as okay this is what you can do to um reach out to people who you didn't heard and from a long time and basically it all it basically um reminds you that okay the, the fact that you met someone once doesn't mean that that will be a lasting connection. If you want that to be a lasting connection, that you need to invest time in it, um, because it's not like a thing just happening uh, on its own. Um, you need to be proactive. Okay, and so um, you watch the videos, you do some exercises, and did you did you find that it uh, helped you? Yes, definitely. Um, so. There was like an exercise which uh, prompted the the uh, participants of this course to basically to reach out to to scroll down uh, in their like messaging apps to the bottom to the mm -hmm. oldest message and try the feeble gesture that okay we haven't talked in a while mm -hmm. what's about you this is what I'm doing and I I find it um, super useful just to remind myself that yeah if there are people who I haven't talked to in sometimes even years but i i i enjoy their um i enjoy talking to them then i probably should um write um short message to them again yeah okay uh and is that also a free course yes it is and what is the name of it again so it's called six minute networking by jordan harbinger networking and it's it obviously aimed at researchers, but it could be used by anybody, right? So actually, it's, it's not aimed at researchers. Um, okay. Yeah, so it, it's basically um, for, for everyone. Oh, okay. All right. So, yeah, so it's just how to network. Okay. Um, yeah, that could be useful. Definitely. I, I can see that. Um, that's really great. Okay. So, um, Patrick, what's your fourth tool? So my fourth tool is a physical one. It is a headlamp. A very small one. It is the of type uh, Vuban H1. So I'm you I'm also like closer. you're holding up a head headband head lamp that you'd wear on your head with a band. It's black. Yes. It looks a little bigger than the ones I normally have. Um, it's about the palm size. Um, yes. Yeah. It's actually like um, extremely light. So it's like fifty four grams only. Okay. Um. And yeah, and, and it's super versatile. So uh, I I'm doing some running, and basically um, the reason why I have chosen this is that it's extremely small, and it's super versatile. So it goes it 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 can adapt to situations where you need a lot of light, and also to the case when you only need just um very little light. So um yeah, to the people who can't see it on the video. Basically, it has uh, three straps, so it goes around your head and also on the top of your head, so it's extremely stable. Even if you are, for example, running, and sometimes I also uh, wear it under my my bike helmet, um, it stays super stable. And uh, yeah, it has some super cool features. So um, it has also built uh, in red light which can be helpful when you are in pitch dark and for example you wake up during the night and you don't want to 
don't want to get something which is um, super bright, then you can turn it in, turn on the, the red light. And it also has like a blue one, which also acts as like a beacon, a light beacon, that if you keep it on, on charge, then it automatically turns on. And also you can turn this flashing blue light on, which is super, it, it's not bright at all. But uh, when you are camping or hiking at night, then you will be able always um, to find it. My personal favorite is basically the Moon Life uh, mode, which is just um, just another expression for uh, very, very um, low luminosity um, option, which I find useful to let other people know in my surroundings that I'm there, I'm running there, but it doesn't um, disturb my disturb the, the joy of just looking around and and seeing the seeing nature at night in the darkness. So the, there are a number of head head strap headlamps. Um, did you look at a lot of them, and and are some of the features that this have not present on others? How much but, how much comparative shopping did you do? Um, I was looking for this quite extensively. And basically, I find this as the best um, amalgam of lightweight, waterproof, multifunctional lights, um, which were like I also asked in the running community, and and some people um, recommended it to me because of its um, small weight, and actually it, it can be charged by a USB. So even if you are traveling, you don't need to bring any chargers with you. Um, it has a um, our replaceable battery. It is the standard 18650 type. Um, and it also comes with one, so you don't need to, to purchase any if you don't have this type of batteries. So it's not using the triple uh, A's. Uh, uh, it's using no, its no. internal battery. Maybe that's where they save some weight. Um, but it, so it can be charged with uh, USB, but also a charger as well? Um, so you can either charge it via USB or you can remove the battery and then charge it in in, in, in a charger. Yeah. Um, and so for you, this was the, the lightweightness um, was a primary um, selecting factor then. Yes. And the, the, and the more light mode because I okay. wanted to have a light, which is. Right. So you could be able to control the, the amount yep. of light. Okay. And, and what's that called again? It is called a Ruben with W. Age that and the type is age one. W. W U B E N. Um. So it's Ruben. Age one. H one. All right. Ruben H one. Um. And how much does it cost? So it currently costs thirty five dollars, and the uh the produce the manufacturer has like a buy one get one free uh, uh -huh. option right now. And as I said, it it has the so this price includes the battery as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, that's really really great. The the Wubin headlamp, lightweight headlamp for bikers. Does it get really really bright? Like if you're on a trying to do um, mountain biking on it at night? Does yes. It... Yeah, it gets up to one thousand two hundred lumens. Okay. Of course, that that's only for like a limited amount of time. But the nice thing is that even if you are 
mountain bike riding and you need extra power there is like a shortcut if you basically um push the single button this lamp has twice um short after each other then it turns on this floodlight uh mode with 1200 lumens and then then that's yeah okay well that's great um so patrick tell us about your uh if you have a passion project or some other mission that you're on or something that you would like to share with our listeners and watchers what would that be yes sir um i started my phd two years ago and as a first generation academic i um got into a lot of situations which were rather new to me and during discussions with other um phd students and also undergraduate graduate students it um, i felt the need to to share my um share my experiences uh, the things I learned from other other people on my way, and also to to reflect some on on my um, on the project and situations that I partook during these two years. So I started a newsletter uh, on Substack, uh, which is called the Path to PhD, and basically this these are my short writings on useful tools uh, on practical things I learned during my PhD. And also basically advice I wish I've had um, when I was looking for a PhD place and also during like getting into this rather different uh, way of life compared to this more standardized um, university curriculum in the undergraduate and graduate phase. And um, do, do you, in hanging out with other PhD students, do you find that... Um this the kinds of things that you are experiencing are pretty typical or um or is it is it very hard to generalize phd programs i think that there are some underlying points which i encountered several times um often phd students uh, start with comparing themselves to other phd students but i think this is the career stage when there are really no two same same paths. So if you enroll in the same um, graduate degree, then at least there the curriculum is somewhat standardized. But in a PhD, if you continue your master's project, then that's different than starting a new one, moving countries, having a different societal background, different um, and and also different people around you. Because sometimes um, when you are in a small lab that that poses other challenges and has other advantages, or as someone who has started his PhD during um, COVID, then that also had its challenges with basically new personal interactions, which um, which made it the baseline to rather focus on your thing. Although, as I, I highlighted in some of my other tools, that I, I think that interaction is is a very useful thing because that can stimulate um, your creativity. And what's one thing that has surprised you about a PSU program that you did not expect? I think the this was really the power of how, how much you can learn and how much the people around you can push you to heights you couldn't even imagine. So um, there was a project that I got involved in in my first year, 
And then I was amazed by how welcoming and and knowledgeable the other people in that project were. And although I was the most junior one, they did not treat me as someone who is their junior. They give me all their support. Um, and with this, I think I could accomplish some things which I wouldn't have been able to without the people around me. And what is your PhD in yourself? It's in artificial intelligence. Okay. So that's a very exciting time to be involved in that. Oh, yes. I would imagine it's hard to keep up at this point. Um, well, um, Patrick, thank you for um, that. If if people wanted to um, see your Substack, what's um, how do they find it? We'll have show notes, but uh, is there an easy way for you for them to discover it? Yes. Yeah, so my Substack is uh, Path the PhD. And also, um, if they Google my name, they will find my blog. So um, I I have links um, to all, all my writings there. Alrighty. Well, thank you. That was most informative. I appreciate um, your sharing those research tools, um, which can be very valuable for anybody doing any kind of research. And um, it'd be interesting to see how they're going to be changed now with chat, um, whether there'll be uh, ways to make them even better. So um, thank you for, for sharing. We really appreciate it. And good luck on your PhD. Thank you very much, Kevin. And thanks for what you are doing with this podcast and sharing these interesting tools. I benefited immensely from it. Well, thank I hope you so I much. can give something back. Well, great. We appreciate it. This year, our Cool Tools blog will be 20 years old, which means we've been posting something new every day for 20 years. It's only possible because of the very engaged and knowledgeable readers and listeners like yourself. You've kept this place going, and we are very grateful for you. With this idea of 20 years in mind, um, we decided to try an experiment this year, and I'm inviting our guests and listeners to join me on our Cool Tool Show and Tell, which is the program that you're listening to right now. So if you feel you'd make a good guest on this podcast and have four uncommon tools that you'd like to share with us, um, please sign up on our form on the website and we'll see about inviting you. You must be comfortable taking all, talking on a video and um, you need to have some tools that you can show um, we record on, as you know, on Zoom. We do a YouTube version, a visual video version of it, as well as an audible version. Fill out the form if you're interested and um, list your four, four cool tools and we'll see if there's a good fit. The applications aren't guaranteed in any way. Um, and we're looking at tools that are new to us and appropriate tools and um, whether the times will work for you. So um, we're really interested in hearing from people all over the world, not just in the U.S., although the tools have to be available online, easily available online. And um, if you are a longtime listener, you kind of know what the definition of our tools are. They're very broad. They can be anything that's handy, from something in the kitchen to something you use to travel to a workshop 
to something professional that we may not know about. We're really interested in things that we don't know anything about. So um, this is an open invitation. We'll give it a try. If you think you make a good guess for this podcast, um, fill out the form. There'll be a link somewhere on our website. Um, and we look forward to, to chatting with you. Thank you.